And then we're just going to have more of a general discussion on horror films, or what are we talking about here? It sounds like you just did a huge line of cocaine. <laughs> that blew my nose. What are we doing here? <laughs> During the movie, the show where two jackoffs talk about new movies and movie news. I'm James. And I'm Mike. And this is episode 23. Bum, bum, bum. Mike and James, the Demon Barbers of Fleet Street. It's actually pretty fitting that our Halloween episode is is falling on the number 23. I know. I, I didn't even realize that until I said it was 23 in there. And then I was like, I can totally add these scary sound effects that really spook out our listeners. Yeah, and spoiler alert, James, we kind of like we're preempting my horror film choice, which is the number 23. Joel yeah. Amazing. Of, of, mm-hmm. Masterpiece starring Jim Carrey. In, in what is Jim Carrey's best role, I think. A, oh, a, yeah. A major snub at the Academy. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, I can't even get to that. <laughs> that. Yeah, uh, I don't know. We are gonna. That does effectively cover both topics we're gonna cover in our news, um, which is the Oscars and horror horror movies. So, mm-hmm. um, and horrifyingly bad movies. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you've, been, you've been you've been saving that one, haven't you? No, I haven't actually. Uh, I'm always the worst when I improv, so it shows. Yeah. Uh, so what do you want to talk about first? I don't know. Yeah, so um, I mean, okay, let's just get the let's just get this out of the way because it has nothing to do with anything else. Um, but it's just too big to ignore. As everyone probably already knows, since the last time we made one of these things, um, a new trailer for Star Wars: The Force Awakens was released, and I totally didn't watch it seven times. And uh, immediately afterward, tickets went on sale for the film uh, for pre-order. And many theater sites, uh, including the one I wanted to go to, crashed because of all the influx of traffic. And and tickets just, uh, they basically got swallowed up. Yeah, I was actually able, lucky enough to get a ticket the following day for for a showing on opening night in RPX, uh, which is awesome. If you haven't heard about RPX, go to Regal Theater, get an RPX ticket. Mm-hmm. It's like IMAX without the 3D. Woo! Yeah, I I am managed to get. I I will be going opening night alone at nine o'clock on a work night. So. Oh, no. I love Star Wars enough to make it worth it. I also have tickets for another theater uh, for a week later because that's the one I really want to go to. Um, and I just really hope the movie's good because otherwise I'm stuck with two tickets to a film that m- might be bad. Yeah, but, you know, we talked a little bit about this on in the pre-show. Uh, I was reading an article on Crave Online, uh, a great website, by the way, about uh, really good trailers for really bad movies. Um, and Phantom Menace was on there. and yeah. And honestly, like... The Force Awakens. This trailer was pretty awesome. I'm not was, gonna lie. No, it was it was fantastic, and it actually kind of operated on the same idea of the Phantom Menace trailer, which was reveal as little about the actual plot of the film as possible, um, while still intriguing the audience's sense of wonder and mystery. So, it's it's definitely appealing that way, but that also means that I I don't I have no idea how you know how much the film can actually back up how awesome its trailer was. Yeah, I don't know. I think this might be, though, like the most scrutinized film since, well, most scrutinized sequel probably since, like, The Dark Knight Rises. Maybe since The Phantom Menace, dude. I mean, like, oh. <laughs> like say what you want. Like, like, Phantom Menace is a terrible movie, but I don't think anything, at least on the internet, has been written about any movie more than, than The Phantom Menace. I think that's the most written about film. It's true, yeah. No, and I think this is going to get like the same treatment, you know. And not not necessarily that I'm not saying anything about its its potential quality, but I mean people are going to go through this movie with a fine tooth comb uh, because mm-hmm. of how much this series means to people. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I I will be one of those people. And in fact, you mentioned that uh, leading up to the release of the new Star Wars movie, we should do a Star Wars retrospective of every, yeah. of all six of the theatrical features um, before the before the new one comes out. I think it's a great idea. Um, 
I'm still hoping by then Disney will come out with a surprise unaltered original trilogy on Blu-ray that I can enjoy um, legally. <laughs> um, but That'd be know, pretty nice. That's wishful thinking. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, we don't want to dwell on it too much because it is just a trailer. It's just it a trailer and it's awesome. It was... I don't even really have anything. I mean, there's nothing in particular to say about it except it looks just... It, it, it's continuing to throw fuel on the on the hype fire. Yeah, I think what it, it seemed to reveal about the plot that somehow the dark side or the evil people have managed to relegate the idea of the Force and Jedi's to mythology. To maybe they existed, maybe they didn't. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Th- and that's all I got. That's all I got from the trailer, which is nice. That's perfect. Yeah, that's true because that was a that was Harrison Ford's line in the trailer. Yeah, it's all real. Yeah. It's all real. Um, which is which is cool because that's kind of what Obi Wan and Luke had to convince him of in the original Star Wars film. So kind of a nice reversal there. I'm also interested that like Chewbacca and Harrison Ford are factoring in very heavily into the marketing, whereas like uh, Mark Hamill and and uh, Carrie Fisher, Carrie Fisher's on the poster, but neither of them are in the trailers from what I could see. Yeah, um, I didn't see either. I, I did I, see someone who looked strangely I think, like. I think Sorry, Harrison go on. A little bit. Oh, her but, character's in there a little bit? But, but, but Harrison Ford and, uh, Harrison Ford and Chewbacca are in there a lot more, so okay. like that'll be more integral to the film. Answer me a question, though. I don't I don't know much about the casting. Is Oscar Isaac in this movie? Yes, he is. He's okay, because I swear I saw someone who walked by in a pilot suit. I was like, that looks like Oscar Isaac. That, that was Oscar Isaac, yeah. Okay, great. I'm not crazy. Yeah, he was in there a bit, actually, and then he even showed a, a quick scene of him being tortured. Oh, or that was him, okay. Like he was being tortured, yeah. Hmm. All right, well, that's... That's fun. I mean, I don't like to see my favorite actors get tortured, but... Uh... Well, I mean, you know, that's what you get for writing folk songs. <laughs> Bastard. Uh, all right. Uh, now let's move on to the scary stuff. This is, like, the scariest <laughs> news I've seen. Chris Rock is going to host the Oscars. <laughs> I like Chris Rock. No, I know. I like Chris Rock, too. Where's he <laughs> like, been? I, I don't... He made a... He actually made a very underseen... I'm saying that without having seen it. Um, uh, film, like kind of an autobiographical film called Top Five, a couple last year, I think. Oh yeah, and yeah, the, I remember that. And that was actually got good reviews. I, it got if very I recall. good reviews, and uh, it didn't really have an audience. Um, but I, I, I've actually been it's been on my two C list because I, I actually hear it's pretty special. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like he's just been doing more personal projects lately. Uh, That's good, you know. Like, trying mean, to get away from, like, the Madagascar thing. <laughs> oh, God. Right? I can't yeah. tell you how much I hate that series. <laughs> uh, every, everyone hates that series. Everyone's, it, especially anyone who's a parent. I'm not a parent, but I can just imagine uh, going to all three of those things. There's only three, right? Uh, I believe so, but there's also, like, a spinoff, The Penguins of Madagascar. Yeah. That has a movie. Yeah. Chris Rock's interesting because he, like, it, I feel like he was trapped in Hollywood films for a long time, but in between, he does, like, he tries to do independent personal stuff. Like, he was in uh, a film with Julie Delpy called Two Days in New York, mm. um, and uh, he, uh, you know, he, you know, acted as himself in Louie, and uh, then he made Top Five, which is, you know, his own film. So I think he's, like, and he's in Bar- Broad City really recently. I think he's, like, trying to, you know... He's he's someone who like is actually like an independent artist quite a bit, but he mm-hmm. kind of gets like trapped into Hollywood stuff every once in a while, and and like he's not, I don't think he's a very good Hollywood star. I, I think he's, you know, he's good in the way that most comedians are good, which is as like you know as people with personal testimonials. <laughs> so yeah, um, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe it'll uh, because didn't he didn't he host the Academy Awards before? Yeah, is he it, did. He has. I don't think I've back seen in like his... 2007 or 2006 oh, okay. or something like that. Okay. It was the 77th Academy Awards. Okay, because I have not seen that. I don't know how that went. Um, well, yeah, it was 11 years ago. I was, I was like 12 was, or something like that. Not watching. Yeah. yeah, I was not watching at that <laughs> point. But, um, yeah. So, uh, being blind to that, I don't know. I think this could be a pretty interesting posting choice because I think he's a lot more thoughtful than someone like Seth MacFarlane. But he also, you know. I don't think it's one to shy away from risque stuff. I also feel like, um, like Ellen last year. Wait, was Ellen last year? Um, no. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. No wait. Neil Patrick Harris was Neil last Patrick year. Neil Patrick Harris was last year, and that was yeah. kind of misguided. But Ellen was like the ultimate. Like, you know, no one's going to be upset by this choice. 
it's yes, exactly. going to go smoothly without any major, um, you know, controversies. And for the most part, it, it really did. Um, and I just feel like every once in a while they try and throw in like a wild card, and just see if it'll it'll end up becoming like the most memorable Academy Awards <laughs> in in modern memory. So, uh, yeah. I guess we'll see. I don't know. I'm, yeah, you know this is this is strange too because like I think last year or the year before that um, Eddie Murphy was originally slated to host the that year's Academy Awards but then dropped out. That's and I think so was, weird. That's so yeah. weird. That would just yeah, be so. now. <laughs> yes, it would be. This was the year I think maybe the same year that uh, that movie Tower Heist came out. I don't know if you ever saw that one no, with Eddie Murphy in it. A lot of people were saying it was a return to form to Eddie Murphy. So uh, and then the Oscars are gonna like. Put a put an exclamation point on his comeback, and then he decided not to, and made another shitty movie, and Eddie no one's Murphy ever heard of him. I think Eddie Murphy doesn't want to do a comeback because he even had a chance last year to do, um, to uh, do perform at SNL 40, and he he didn't. SNL being like, you know, where he started. That's, yeah. <laughs> that, that was that's why people know who Eddie Murphy is in the first place, and he didn't do it and then like he's just been doing weird stand-up like like didn't i think lately he just um uh he like made a cosby joke on stage that just went over really poorly oh yeah yikes so i don't sad man uh, yeah i don't don't know it's kind of it's kind of sad because he's i I do think he's talented but uh, that would just be a sad academy awards (laughs) Well, good thing we have Chris Rock. <laughs> of course, yeah, I know. I'm I'm actually excited for Chris Rock. We'll we'll see how this goes. I may I may regret those words, but I I think he'll be great. Yeah. Well, well he'll, be, f- he'll be he'll be interesting. You have a few months to mull that one over. So yeah, that's true. In the meantime, scary stuff. Actually, scary stuff. Um, beyond that, we both saw uh-huh. a a horror film uh, called Goodnight Mommy, which I mentioned on our last episode. Yeah. Uh, I think it was the last one. Maybe it's the time before that. I think it was the time. Um. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure last time we said that that, that was one of the films we were going to review. Details, details. Yeah, and uh, this was Austria's uh, submission to the Academy Awards this year. They said, this is the best film Austria has to offer, and we're going to put it forth for Academy Awards recognition. And that got me curious, because it's a horror film, and one, the Academy doesn't like genre films, as you said, Mike. And mm-hmm. uh, two, it must be good. This uh, was the thought. If uh, you know, they think this is the best they have to offer, or it was the only film they made that year. It's one of the two. Um... <laughs> and I can't. I can't name another Austrian film to be totally honest, and I'm really sorry about that. So hey, I mean that means I could name, that... I could name German films. In fact, another German film involving facial surgery. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh... Uh, yeah. So it it is kind of. Uh, it, it may not ultimately be as risky as it seems. Um, to have to, for Austria to submit that as their their official film, um, but it just is interesting uh, considering what like it's just speculating on what the Academy is willing to acknowledge, and just the fact that it is a genre film kind of piques one's interest. Um, so James, uh, I actually think I can handle this as a plot synopsis. Okay. Um, just to just to set the stage, uh, it's about these two these twin boys whose mother returns uh, from facial from you know having facial surgery after an accident um, and uh, slowly after she returns it, it seems idyllic at first but it's the boys start suspecting because of her behavior that the woman is in fact not really their mother and her face is obscured by bandages so they can't really tell um, and uh, this is this is one of those movies where I really don't want to get into spoiler territory so I will just say, things take a turn and the boys uh, become completely convinced that it is not their mom and they take action. Um, yeah, they do. Uh, <laughs> quite a bit of quite a bit of actions. Um, so, James, barring anything else you want to add to that, um, I'm just going to let you start on this one because you uh, this was your recommendation. First of all, how do you view this in terms of being a horror film? And within the horror genre, do you even consider it a horror film? Um, yeah, you know that's there's a, there've been a lot of films recently that have marketed themselves as horror films, and I don't think have been. I think uh, we're talking good about example. Two, we're talking about two this week. Yeah, no. <laughs> 
Uh, I think a good example of that was earlier this year, there was a movie came out called uh, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Um, that was actually that... last year that that movie came out. Oh, yeah. Regardless. It just got a wider um, release. Sorry. Yeah, I got a wider release this year, so... Um, but yeah, that that one, I, I would say definitely not a horror film. Um, and I was struggling at first as whether or not this was going to count. I I want to count it. I, I think um, I don't know if you got that got that feel too. Um, and honestly, I think it was. Um, I I don't, I don't think anything in this film hasn't been done before, especially in the horror in the horror genre. But I don't think that's a knock against it. I you know it's it seemed. It seemed like it just it didn't. It wasn't very ambitious, but I don't think. Again, I don't think that's a fault. It just it wanted to do something, and it, and it did it pretty well. That's uh, and I don't know if that's spoiling my feelings about the movie too much. Um, uh, I wanted I want to talk to ask you, give you the yeah. question, um, mm-hmm. because you described it as you described the Austrian submission as throwing their submission away. Has your seeing this movie changed your opinion at all? Yes, it has. Um, I could actually see this potentially being a submission just because of how how much of a horror film it is only in its like absolute like most superficial ways. Um, mm-hmm. Because this is not it, it's not at all the way it looked from the marketing. Um, and kind of like it, it follows was a full on horror movie, but kind of like mm-hmm. it follows, it basically turned itself into a film about coping with tragedy. Um, yeah, I mean, or even the Babadook, really. Or, or, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that's exactly the movie I was thinking. Okay, about. I was it, like, it, I don't know that it, it follows. It follows is... is nothing about tragedy at all. I'm, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, sort of like the Babadook. It it turned itself into a essentially a parable about coping with tragedy. And I think that something like that, and, and, and even then it removes a lot of the more supernatural elements of something like the Babadook, which isn't to say that they're completely absent here, but they're just, mm-hmm. they're, they're played down as devices instead of, you know, being real, like tangible things. And, and, and I also think that this one had, I think more teeth than the Babadook. I mean, not actually not referring to the Babadook monster. That thing had a lot of teeth. That thing had a lot of teeth. Too, <laughs> what you're talking about. But it, it felt more, more. It, it, nothing felt like hammy or hokey the way I, the way the Babadook came off to me. Although I will admit I'm one of the only ones who thinks that. But uh, um, I, I was, I believed everything that was happening in Goodnight Mommy more than I did the Babadook. It, it didn't. It, it seemed like as soon as it broke down into that metaphor part, um, you know, that it was actually grief in the Babadook, then I, it kind of lost me in terms of horror. Whereas this one, I was even, even when I was figuring things out, it was. Uh, still gripping so yeah it's because that the externalizations don't really have any like real because the way that the the grief is externalized doesn't really affect anything physically in goodnight mommy whereas like Mm -hmm. like, it's very much just in the mind but i don't know something about goodnight mommy was just so this is one of the most hermetic movies i've ever seen it has one location and aside from like a pair of the snoopiest red cross members of all time (laughs) three characters um and you're basically alone with them in a in a great like a, a absolutely spotless modernist house and there's just no air in it and something about that kind of made it like a gem but it also made it really unsatisfying for me (laughs) Like there's just so little, there's just so little aside from premise here. Yeah. That I, and, and the thing is that the the real, the punch of the movie is going to be the twist at the end, and like to me that wasn't an original like that. I, I kind of saw that. Oh, not at from, all. <laughs> it, I, I saw it coming from a mile away, and even the thing with like twins is such a hor- like it's such a tired horror idea by now. Um, mm-hmm. I, w- I wanted to ask you specifically about that because. I, I watch I watch a film like a complete idiot like I didn't I didn't I didn't see the twist coming until until it smacked me in the face. Um, whereas whereas my roommate who I saw the movie with he 
realized what was happening from pretty much the beginning. I mean, not that he like 100% realized it, but I, the idea was put in his head. So then he watched the rest of the film knowing that, and he said he sort of got a less of an experience because he seemed to know yeah. what was coming. Yeah, I I didn't. I'm not as inter. I, I'm not as intuitive as your friend, but I I kind of realized what was happening. Basically, when it turned into, like started turning into a saw movie. <laughs> <laughs> Because the beats, were all, the, the beats were all wrong at that point. Like, at, at, at that point, the kids are, like, quite, like, pretty obviously coded as the monsters. They're shot that way. Um, they're, they become, like, these blank... Uh, by the way, I want to ask you about their performances in a second. But they become these, like, you know, kind of blank, unfeeling things. I mean, there's there's some conflict in there that is explored. But, like, from, from that point, they're very much the oppressors and the torturers. And at that point, I'm just like, there's no... And then I, they started being filmed in a very particular way that drew a mm-hmm. lot of attention to one twin over the other. And it that's the point where it became pretty obvious. Um, and it, but then it kept the, it kept the twist uh, obscured, quote-unquote, for like the next half hour about. Um, so I don't know. I think, it, I think it's a movie that... See, if this was just a... Because it's filmed very objectively, but I still feel like it wanted to elicit a strong emotional reaction out of me that I, I, I quite frankly didn't have. Um, yeah. So I, I I feel like it is insanely well crafted. The cinematography is wonderful. Um, it is. Some of the geez, like some of the shots in the forest, like they look like they could be out of Tree of Life. Um, they're yeah. Great. I was I was uh, getting some strange like just a little like tinges of like german expressionist film here especially with like the how they play with like shadows sometimes or even like that the paintings they have on the walls like it seems yeah, strange would, to me see i would have loved more of that but the house has such clean lines and they're not diagonal or skewed at all they're, it's true it's, yeah it's so straight like this like the set design is clearly very deliberate but it's not it's nothing special to me it's just a modernist house like the house in ex machina was so cool because it combined like uh, you know, naturalism and organic things with you know very hard edges and modern you know modern architecture and sensibility and stuff like that, and that worked beautifully for me. Whereas this was just a modern house in the middle of a secluded glen um, with two kids who I, I guess are on summer break because like the Red Cross people ask when they're going to school and they never leave this house. Um, they, no, they don't. No. They, they, they're there the whole time. Um, yeah, I was. Uh... So I, I would have looked more unique production design, I guess. Um, I was getting flashbacks to a movie I think we've both seen. I know I've seen it. Um, Hard Candy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. where in, in Hard Candy, the, the the twist becomes like one person who you think is going to be the prey turns out to be the predator. But then the yeah. whole time you're kind of going back and forth on who you're rooting for. And you're like, ah, ah. Um, so this, this one put me through a lot of those same but, motions. Um, but that film didn't try to like... It didn't try to manipulate the audience to do a shock reaction. I feel like it did. I feel like everything it developed in that film was very a lot more organic and less orchestrated and manipulative than well, the way. Well, yeah. Good night, mommy. Yeah, good night, mommy. Though I think it put so much effort into concealing the twist that, and I think the problem that my roommate ran into is that if you figure it out before that, then the the whole movie that they're trying to conceal it just becomes kind of the. All right, get there already, you know. And it's um, not a very good twist, honestly. Like, I don't think it's that. It's it's not original in the slightest. It's not, like, I, I wasn't really impressed with it. Even even that moment where I did have that realization, and I could appreciate the cinematography and how they were being filmed. Mm-hmm. Um, that was very much, you know, um, reflective of the twist. I It just, it to me, it seems like you had one great trick up your sleeve, and you're just really trying to build up to it and be a showman. And it wasn't, to me, that was the mark of, of a, you know, first-time director, and the, both the directors on this film uh, are, I believe they've done documentaries and shorts, but this is their first feature. Um, yeah. And mind you, I'm really interested to see what they do in the future, because I think that these are insanely talented people. They're, it's mm-hmm. very, very, very good filmmaking here, but it's it's trying to it's trying to manipulate the audience with really sophomoric twists and plot devices, and I just that's what I didn't respond to, and that's what made it work not as well for me. I'm still happy I saw it, um, but it... I don't know, it's something very, like... There's something very, like, 
clumsy, I guess, or just like I guess just obvious about how it how it approaches its quote unquote horror story. Also, I I despise the last scene in this movie like a lot. The particular oh. shot. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that in a in a time where we can when we be, go into spoilers. Go spoilers, yeah. Yeah, to, to me, uh, without being being too specific, to me, it was just a winking roll call, like like uh, like you know, in in a theater where you um, uh, what what do you call it at the end when everyone just comes out and takes a bow? Um, casting, casting call? No, that's not no. that's not a casting call. Um, I just called a final bow. I don't know. <laughs> final bow. Basically, when all the like, it, it just seemed to me like the final wink to the audience, and like, you know, uh. Oh, aren't I brilliant? Like just posing the question, aren't I brilliant? No, um, yeah, you're you're right. That very last shot was completely unnecessary. <laughs> that, that that's what I'm talking about in particular. That last shot, um, not necessarily the ending, but the last shot. Yes. Yeah, no, that was like the the magician, yeah. like really yeah. getting into himself after showing yeah, you. That's <laughs> the thing. That's the thing. It like it, it tries to pull, tries to pull it over my head with a, it, you know, tries to pull a pretty. Not dumb, but like a cliche twist over my head, and then like ask me to pat it on the back for it, and that 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 didn't sit well with me. Um, what did was the craft of filmmaking, and um, actually for the most part the performance of the two boys, um, because I do think that aside from getting pretty monotone and like unfeeling when the plot didn't when the plot needs it of them but when they're actually allowed to be kids um i actually found them to be pretty pretty organic and pretty you know believable they have these like weird moments of emotion on their mouths that like Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to fake it and they they just nail like little nuances so great and like just because normally in horror films especially when you see twins they're just monotone and creepy and Mm -hmm. With them, I felt like they were a lot more real and had more range of emotion. Yeah, you know, and I want to mention one thing too. Like, <clears throat> in the efforts to conceal the twist, like the filmmakers kind of cheat a little. Um, uh, do Do you remember the Do you remember the scene? Like, I don't think this is too spoilery at all because we've already d- discussed that the, the the crux of the issue the the crux of the story is whether or not this person is their mother and there's a scene early on where they're playing that game where you you know you put a sticky note on your head with the with the Mm -hmm. person's name on it and and they put mama on there and they're trying to describe Mm -hmm. who the you know describe their mom and she is not understanding it and that with the with the twist in mind after seeing the movie that dawns on me as something that was just a deliberate misdirection and seems to me it it doesn't make sense to me it does to me, and I, explaining it would... I mean, when you're playing that game, you're not expecting it to be... It's you. true, that's fine, yeah. So, I don't know, it didn't... And it cuts before, like, too long. You know, it cuts out of that scene before it's officially resolved. So It's true, so you don't really know what yeah. happened from there. It, it wasn't, like, a cheat to me. It didn't, it didn't bother me too much, just because, like... I don't know, you're... It, it, yeah. But I don't want to talk too much about it because I feel like it, I feel like I've even given away too much by saying that. Um, I know, I know. There's a few things that there's a few like phrases I want to give out to describe this movie uh, that would just totally give it away. So, so that also makes this movie really hard to talk about because it's built around essentially two questions, and it's all suspense or buildup or mystery surrounding those two questions. And if we answer anything about them, <laughs> kind of like like that's the thing. I don't think this film would really be that great on a second watch because they're just so built around those twist i'd like to see how things are shot knowing knowing what's you know actually going on from the beginning um but like i said i got a lot of that as soon as i realized what the twist was and mm-hmm. then the film goes on for another 20 minutes without officially revealing it um but yeah i yeah i i, I i'm interested to see like a movie like like the usual suspects or like fight club going in like seeing those movies the second time you know, and of course I've seen those movies a second time, but like at least for the usual suspects in my mind, the, the movie still holds up despite knowing uh, what happens at the end. Sure, um, absolutely. Um, because they're not just built around those twists, is the thing. I don't think a film like just this film has so little else in it. It's just so, like I said, it's hermetic. It's it doesn't let in any air, and it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see on that on that mm-hmm. one front but it's also i think uh, a 
big detriment to the film. Yeah, I don't know. Let's right. let's move on. Let's move on to our next let's, next let's, horror movie. I, it's an interesting one. I mean, Good Night, Mommy's great. Interesting movie. Yeah, you couldn't. Uh, you're not you're not going to go wrong by seeing it. You no, know, I, don't, I, don't, yeah, I don't think so. At the very least, you'll get it, it's very well crafted and well directed. At the mm-hmm. very least, um, so you'll get that. I just and I do it, like it as a horror film, so I'm not I'm not going to give it too many uh, qualifiers. You know, it was it to me was uh, it was definitely a different style of horror. You know, it was more old school. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it wasn't. It was. It was a horror film. It was good. I like seeing it. So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the next one is Crimson Peak, Guillermo del like, Toro. Guillermo del Toro. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pretty pretty dig dang excited for this movie because um, uh, uh-huh. yeah, we Let's haven't see. seen Guillermo del Toro make an actual movie in a while. Well, actually, make a movie, I should say, not make an actual movie. An actual movie. All those fake movies <laughs> <he> made. <Ugh>. Um. <laughs> Yeah, his, his last feature was Pacific Rim in 2012, and even though I really enjoyed it, the film is nothing. Not much about that film stands out to me as specifically being Del Toro territory. It's it's very like he cared very much about it, and I'm not you know saying any that he treated it as anything less than his baby, but it just didn't have the same kind of and, and, and hell, I, I really liked it. It was a lot of fun, but it didn't have the same personality as a lot of Del Toro's other films, and this looked to be more of a return to his typical style of set design of um you know creating creatures of invoking an atmosphere that i loved so much in something like pan's labyrinth or the devil's backbone have you seen the devil's mm-hmm. backbone james no i missed that one. Oh my god yeah see if this halloween it's great um it, it's actually great to watch around halloween um, <laughs> yeah, i mean and this was this was his baby this is written directed produced Guillermo del toro so mm-hmm. um yeah, he put a lot into this, and I was, as I said, excited to see what it was gonna what it was gonna bring. Um, and what struck me just from the trailers, and and one of the first things I want to talk about is how visually stunning this movie was. Oh, like, it is! It is one of the best looking. It's maybe the best looking film I've seen all year so far. Like it's yeah, it's, this film could probably walk away with with best production design. Oh, I'm, just... I'm actually going to be upset if it doesn't at this point, um, because okay, so here, here's the thing about Guillermo del Toro. He, if you ever see his notebooks, like because they've published like pages, like scanned pages from his notebooks, they are just filled with it's like fucking Da Vinci. Like he just he he draws like houses and architecture and creatures and things, but he never. The thing is, they're they're designed extravagantly, but they are. They're never done for frivolous reasons, like or just to look pretty. He designs them like, like living things, and they're they're just like big, you know, they're big creatures to him. And so he treats them with a lot of like, treats them with a lot of love, and is so detailed and meticulous about how they're put together. Um, and, and like for me, that effort really shows, um, in all of his films, but especially in Crimson Peak. Um. So, to me, the visuals and design of this movie are absolutely beyond reproach. Um, honestly, I'm just going to come out with it. I This movie's worth seeing to me, at the very least, on that front. Um, oh, yeah. They're that good. I, I, I almost think it's a must-see in terms of that, in, uh-huh. in those terms. Like, yeah. if you're... I don't know. It's very they, even on the tagline it says from visionary director. Like it, he takes so much into the vision, into the the look and feel of this movie. That I don't know. That was the first thing that my roommate, who's been in love with this film since seeing it, um, it, it talks about. He's like that. It was such an experience to see and to look at. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now the thing is, though, uh, we have to. So, so one disheartening thing that I have I had to see before I observed before going to see this movie is that the critical response to Crimson Peak has has been positive but lukewarm. Um, yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't like you know the the smash that like some Del Toro's films in the past were. So I was kind of curious why, and and I think that the main the main discrepancy that's happening between what del toro's doing and what people are disappointed in or what they expected of him is they this movie has been advertised and marketed very heavily as a horror film um as a ghost story and <laughs> and and you know 
there's a great meta line in the movie where is this a ghost story? Is this a romance? It's it's <laughs> not it's not a ghost story. Mia Wasikowska, uh, her character's a writer, and she's submitting a manuscript, and and the publishers, you know, were appalled to see ghosts in her story. She asks her why she wrote a ghost story, and she says it's not a ghost story. It's a it's a story with ghosts in it. The ghosts are a metaphor for the past. Yeah, um, really on the nose, but like. And Del Toro even came out in the press and said, I'm really dissatisfied with how this movie's being marketed. They're treating it like a horror film, a haunted house movie. And it features a haunted house, but the point of the movie is not the ghosts. That's not what I'm that's not what I'm making a movie about. And he's absolutely mm-hmm. right. Um and I think that going I, I honestly think that just going into the movie knowing that it's not that the ghosts are not at the center of it will improve one's enjoyment of it by a lot <laughs> like it'll, no. it'll make one enjoy it a lot more i didn't i didn't pay too much attention to the to the um uh advertising of it i knew i knew it was advertised as a straight up horror film so but when i see when i watch it and of course hearing those lines like that you know i, I got what the film was going for um my biggest complaint of this and i don't and i still haven't decided how how much this affects me is that this film is narratively kind of a mess. It, it's, uh, uh, yeah, I, I'll agree with that, absolutely. Um, particularly toward the second half. Yeah, it's it's sort of like, it takes these strange twists and turns that don't amount to anything, and, and that that was the main question I had to myself. I was like, what actually happened in this film? And and when I, when I got the, when I answered myself this very simple plot that was kind of convoluted, mm-hmm. uh, I, was, I came out a little disappointed just in the narrative aspect of it. It's true. I I will agree with that. Um, one director that Del Toro. Do you want to go over the plot of this, by the way? Oh, <laughs> I feel like we haven't done that yet. Well, I mean, I suppose if I'm going to criticize the narrative, I should uh, you know, know what the that, narrative is. Let's just get that is. out of the way really quick, and then we can we can get into the meat of it. Yeah, um, I can't say her name though. Is it meat of Vasikovska, yeah. Mia Vasikovska uh, plays this... God, what even... Is this, like, around the turn of the... Oh, it it's, says right it's... there, around the turn of the 20th century. Woo! There you go. Yeah, I don't know. Um, she plays a daughter of... Oh, uh, a rich uh, businessman, industrialist, seems like, um, around this around that time. And she is approached by Tom Hiddleston. Um, plays... What's his name? Um, Sharp. Yeah. Sir Thomas Sharp. Sir yeah, Thomas that was Sharp. it. Yeah. Yeah, we should, and... yeah, let's just pull up the I'm just gonna pull up the cast list right now so we can talk <laughs> about this later. Yeah, it's just he plays Sir Thomas Sharp and he, she's approached by him um with a was it immediately a marriage proposal? Or No, no, he is arriving to um he's he's arriving to That's uh, right. get his father That's right. to invest in his clay mining operation, which he's been, you know, starting from the ground up, quite literally, um, pun intended, and uh, that wasn't a pun. But uh, and uh, her father, Mia Wasikowska's father, uh, rejects him, and uh, uh, wow, sorry, Ugh, give me a sec. Um, and then uh, Mia Wasikowska's father, Mister Cushing, rejects him. Um, so then his plan changes a bit, and he begins to try winning favor with his daughter. Um, and do you want that? Well, he he eventually convinces her to uh, move over through things that I won't really spoil because they're nice. Uh, they're, they're fun to see. <laughs> um, to go over to Europe. Um Somewhere. I don't know if, even know if they said... It's in, it's in London. I, or not, London, it's yeah. In, it's in Britain, but I don't know where. Yeah, no, it's, it goes over to his, his home and uh, Mary, and and his home is this crazy big mansion that's probably haunted, um, and this red clay like comes out of the walls because it's seeping up from the ground, and there's a big hole in the ceiling in the foyer uh, that just snow comes in. It's it's one of these things that's very visually striking. Leaps come um, down through it, and there's just like they're coating the staircase. It's it's. Also, were there any trees around there? <laughs> no, no, no. That's what I'm saying about it. Um, although apparently, no, no, no. So here's the thing. One uh one thing that um. I learned about the set is that in the attic they have trees growing in the attic and oh. that, that's actually where like through the walls and that's actually where a lot of the leaves come from mind you it doesn't make any more sense but it's really no no it's that's, really... that's cool though this whole this whole home itself is such a great idea um 
But yeah, and then she starts to realize that things aren't as they seem is the least spoilery way I could put it. Um, and yeah, no, this is this is the the haunted house quote unquote that the advertisements are making such a big deal out of, but that mm-hmm. wasn't too big a deal in the movie. So yeah, it is people a are going house. in there expecting. It is a haunted house, but um, the it, it, we'll just reveal the the true monsters are revealed to take uh, slightly different, more corporeal forms. Yeah, that was that was nicely nicely put. Yeah. Um, um, so the thing is, one of the directors that Del Toro clearly took the most influence from uh, in making this movie was Hitchcock, and I say this because there are two Hitchcock films that are quoted a lot not not quoted verbally but quoted visually throughout this movie. Um, one is Rebecca, uh, which basically is one of the like definitive Gothic romances in in both literature and cinema and uh this whole it's it's very similar with a a girl kind of meeting a uh recently let's just say a man with a complicated romantic history and Mm -hmm. going away to a secluded mansion far away and having to take on a new life and fill a new role um in in terms of like a broad thematic tonal sense it takes a lot from rebecca in terms of like specific um you know, very particular plot points. He still he he takes two things from another Hitchcock film, Notorious. Uh, this idea of like uh, stealing a key off of a of a ring, and then putting it back on, um, and having someone notice in between when you take it off and when you put it on. The key is <laughs> very clearly with what it's for. Um, and I say that in like because particular shots mirror it. And then also, um, the like someone being poisoned. Through their through their drinks that they're being offered, um, and uh, there there are even like particular shot compositions like with uh, uh, Charlie Dunham uh, Charlie Hunnam's character uh, Hunnam. Alan Mitchell sorry um, I know Dunham would make a lot more sense so. Dunham would make more sense um, but uh, it's, who we I don't even think we've mentioned yet but he kind of has a scene with her later in the film that is literally framed exactly like a scene between Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman and Notorious. Um, so, he, I don't think Del Toro is being secretive about it. He clearly loves Hitchcock. He said that many times, and he's you know, taking elements from, from him. The thing is, uh, his story is not... Hitchcock streamlined his narrative so much to be as tight as possible, um, and to suspend things as much as, as much as possible, but to keep them, you know, very economic... Uh, Del Toro did not do that. His film runs really... It's it's only two hours, but it's actually really... It, it feels long. It, it does, yeah. It, it feels like it drags a lot towards its... It's, it, it's not even that it drags, because all of the scenes are interesting to me, but not all of them add up to the same thing. Like, they're trying to be different movies, and thing, like elements from one scene will be dropped in the next and won't ever come into play again. Um, that is a problem but i'm kind of willing to embrace this movie as a disorganized beautiful mess that i kind of i kind of love um maybe love's a strong word but i really i I actually did respond really well to it um but it does and actually i kind of think the first like before they go to to europe the first section of the movie is like pretty great it's pretty perfect it's that part that part had me hook line and sinker and then Mm -hmm. um I get here and I finally get to this haunted house and even even as I said I realize that it's not it's not going to be the 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 horror film that it was advertised as um but I was still I was still excited to see how that part was going to unfold I was just kind of questioning at the end what it unf- how you know what it amounted to when it unfolded I mean the, it was one of those movies where I I don't know it seems like I know I know he wrote this but you know, you know, uh, like Tim Burton's greatest flaw, and that he's such like a visual stylist that he doesn't he doesn't understand what is a good script because yeah. he sees it visually. Yeah. This this sort of this sort of had the same effect on me. Whereas like I got through the movie and I was initially very very high on it, but then when I started to think about it, I was like, well. Mm-hmm. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it does get pretty sloppy toward the end. It's not. It's. I, I think another critic said it's like five movies. It's like it's like seven movies crammed into one. Like it's it's trying to be seven <laughs> different movies at the same time. Um, 
it's a, it's a bit of hyperbole, but it's essentially true. It's not. It doesn't feel of a whole. It doesn't. It doesn't all mesh. Um, I think I tend to be more accepting of that in a movie if I feel like the vision's really strong, and here I do. One, one actually, and this is kind of a superficial aspect, but I was actually really disappointed in character design for the most part of the ghosts, the creatures. Oh um, yeah, they were they were pretty. Like I'm, I mean, this is Guillermo del Toro. He's made so many great, like even the like the design of the kaiju was really cool in uh, in Pacific Rim. And yeah, no, but know, and Pan's he... Labyrinth is full of great creatures. Uh, of course, yeah, I was just about to bring up Pan's Labyrinth. Well, that, that's, like everything. that's well, that's his, you know, that's the epitome. And even the Ghost Boy in the Devil's Backbone, like there's and oh god, Kronos, like there's so many cool creatures he's designed. And honestly, I won't remember a single ghost from this movie. They're no, they're just sort of wispy. Puffs of smoke. Yeah, with, with the skeleton attached to them. They're billowy, and yeah, and they're, I mean, they're all CG. And the thing is, his his sensibility just it looks so much better with prosthetics and makeup. I'm not a person who's like you know inherently don't use CG, but I mean the way that he works, it, it looks his stuff looks so great and organic, and oh like real. Like it, that's what was great about Pan's Labyrinth. None of those monsters looked fake. Like they just looked. Like, they could actually come out of the screen and get you. And here it was all... It was lazy, honestly. It looked... It looked like... The only lazy thing in the movie, really. Yeah. Like no, everything else has had so much attention to detail paid to it, but uh, yeah. not not the, the design of the ghosts. Yeah, for, for whatever reason. Um, that, that was a that was a letdown to me. Um, yeah, I think... That, I, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think I think overall, I I have to recommend the movie. It's it was it was good. I just I and I maybe have that same level of good but not great reaction that the rest of the critics have. But it's I don't have it because I wanted a different movie or expected a different movie. Like I don't think maybe that should factor I, into it. Maybe I'm definitely recommending it. Um, because there's a part of me that just loves it, and a part of me that's really aware of its flaws, and I kind of want to watch it. Like I kind of owe it a second viewing. I want I want to see it again. Because I feel like that'll help me get more of a holistic sense of what it is. Because right now it's like I have two different things like in my head telling me two different things about it. Um, at the very least, it's not like good, good night, mommy. I don't think there's going to be any like like you're going to feel one way or another. But it's such a straightforward film that you're gonna you're gonna feel what you're gonna know how you feel about it pretty pretty obviously. This one, mm-hmm. it's more messy. It's 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 more oblique, and that. Is more fascinating to me, but I also, I also understand it's it's a lot messier, more disorganized, and uh, honestly, yeah, it, it, it there's too much stuff in it, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think it's worth sifting through it to find to find all the diamonds in the rough. Huh. And there's, well, was... there, there are many diamonds. I love platitudes, so yeah. that's that's good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Um... Yeah, we could probably probably uh, move on then. Uh, we we want to have uh, a talk, um, just not not too generally about horror films, but about probably older horror films that we think inform the ones that we really respond to. Um, mm-hmm. And Mike, you said you had one in particular. Yeah, I did. Um, so just because, okay, so horror is. I mean, it's just a genre, right? Like, any genre, it's really versatile. You can pretty much... I think that the best horror films don't necessarily... I think they use it as a platform to get into... Like, to, to tell a story that they really want to tell, not necessarily bound by the constrictions of the genre. Um, and one trend that's been happening lately that's really cool that has nothing to do with the movie I'm going to talk about, um, it kind of focuses on, like, you know, postmodernism and self-reference... Like, mm-hmm. kind of starting with Scream and, you know, uh, perfected with Cabin in the Woods. Um, and to me, like, it's a really interesting way to superficially treat the genre, but I'm always, like, I'm always more interested in when, pe- like, someone can use a horror film to actually say something that's really cool and really true and honest about just general human relationships and living. And to me, it's a lot more warm. Um and so the film I picked, uh, it's, it's it's still really recent. It's uh, Let the Right One In from Sweden, uh, the Swedish vampire movie that came out the same year as Twilight, actually. 
Um, <laughs> Woo! It's it's basically about a boy who's being picked on at school, uh, who meets a young girl who seems twelve. Um, they're both they're both physically twelve. Uh, the girl uh, moves in next door in his apartment complex with her father, quote unquote, uh, who actually turns out to be her assistant in killing people and getting their blood. Um, and uh, it's it's kind of about how these two really uh, like disconnected, like you know, these people who have nothing, you know, no connection really to the world, uh, come close together and you know become, you know, c- kind of fall in love with one another. Um, but it's such a like a, it's such a it, it's a love that's kind of removed from humanity so much but at the same time it's kind of like you know it's it's beautiful in and of itself it's not really all that right i mean some people may not even want to call it a horror movie because it's not it doesn't fit that traditional mold but it's it's like this i don't know it's such a you know warm little creepy intimate loving movie and those a lot of those are contradictory to one another and that's kind of why i i like it so much um and it's just kind of weird that it's not that common you see something approached honestly and that genuinely and gently anymore. Um, to me, a lot of times horror movies now are about the artifice of horror, but like things that look frightening or or even just referencing the genre itself. Whereas this very much uses it as a pretense to jump into more universal things, um, and honestly, that kind of informs the horror movies I like more in general. Um, not that I don't like things like Cabin in the Woods, but mm-hmm. I, I think there's more than self-reference and. and the horror genre and to me like the only like I, I don't want the only good horror movies being made to be basically meta horror films you know but well, yeah like actually two of my two of my favorite horror films in in the last uh, few years are those it's cabin in the woods as you mentioned and then and then your next which is uh <laughs> that that's specifically to slasher genre uh, your next is it's it, it sort of like puts enough spins on those tropes that uh but it is it's it's is making commentary on on that genre rather than mm-hmm. being it's in and of itself in that genre. Right. Um, so yeah, definitely understand where you're coming from there. Um, and I and I too respond to f- horror films that sort of stand on their own. Um, I don't know if you were. Um, I don't know if you wanted to keep going on the film you were talking about. Oh, I didn't know um, if you were done no, or not. I, no, I think I just wanted to make the larger point about. Like, you know, I, th- I think it's worth seeking out horror films that don't necessarily, like, that aren't so on the nose about, about, you know, being modern horror films that, that can yeah. still actually kind of be organic and genuine without, you know, without drawing attention. Like, guys, look how stupid, you know, look how, look how cliche and dumb horror movies are. Like, you know, we, mm-hmm. n- not, not saying that doesn't have a place in it, but in, in horror, but to me, that shouldn't be, that, that shouldn't be the thing that, that doesn't have the most meat to it, you know? And, yeah, I mean, there's a few there's a few other movies I know that just have commented directly on on horror movies. I mean, and I think Cabin in the Woods was was sincerely from people oh, who they, liked they, horror films. They were huge horror fans. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sorry, they I, just didn't like the direction in which it was going. And I think honestly, you could look at Cabin in the Woods as a turning point in in horror films, and that a lot of horror films after the fact, I think more so than before in, re, in the recent years before have been more more straight up more sincere horror films one of the things that has bothered me about um about horror films is that some things are only considered scary because they're in a horror film you take you take a simple thing like what what struck me one early shot that didn't actually turn out to be what i was trying to do but it um in goodnight mommy uh when they're going into that sort of dark uh tunnel like something like walking into a dark tunnel is not scary. If it's in a horror film, it's suddenly supposed to be scary. And that to me feels cheap that it, you, it, a movie can't be scary just because it is scary. You know, it's a tautology. Yep. Um, so it's because you invented, if you invented Facebook, <laughs> you would have invented Facebook. Yeah. Aaron Sorkin's favorite device. Apparently. Yeah, apparently. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, I seek out ones that are on that. Another, another horror film that, uh, in the past, decade i guess yeah um that commented on the violent nature of horror films uh by by 
I, I, I think we disagree on how to say his name. Michael Haneke or Michael Hanukkah? Ha- Michael Hanukkah. Michael Hanukkah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he did Funny Games, uh, which starred Michael Pitt, who hasn't been in enough stuff, in my personal opinion. Um, uh, but that movie, that. that movie was definitely just it, it was that was a lambasting shellacking of the audience uh, who craves the, for the violent nature of uh, of horror films, and he sort of says like, "Well, this is what you wanted, right?" <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Whereas I think I think Cabin in the Woods approached that subject with a little more tact, um, and that it didn't feel too much like it didn't make the audience feel bad well, for. Well, funny, yeah, Funny Games is really mean to its audience. Like it, it, yeah, it's mean. <laughs> it has a lot of contempt for for the people who are into who are into, it, it has about as much contempt as Birdman has for people who like superhero films. Yeah, which is an easier it's an easier movie to digest if if you agree with it. You know, um, oh for sure. Just... I, I think that's why you get such varied reactions on it, and I'm not even prepared to offer my reaction to that movie right now because I'm very conflicted on it. Yeah, well, conflicted on indicting the audience in general. You know, it's whether or not it's. A, I think it's well, it's, a tight, the... it's a tight wire act, honestly. It's never. It is. It, it's not always okay or not okay. It has to be done with the right amount of tact. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think, Cabin in the Woods definitely hit that balance, I think, as someone who likes it and doesn't. I don't think Michael Hanukkah really likes horror films, so mm. it comes off as sort of, like, snooty and, like, oh, you nah, uh, you want this movie. Oh, okay, well, here you go. But at the same time, I think it makes enough good points about the genre that, you know, directors should really, and, and people who love horror, really need to take a look at. So um, that's why it's sort of, like, is okay for me. Whereas, like, I, I think the film I've been wanting to talk about is that perfectly go, uh, describes the, the flavor of horror that I like the most uh, is from 1967, and it's directed by Rowan Polanski, mm. and it's Rosemary's Baby. Mm. Great movie. Yes. Great movie. Oh, 1968, the book was in uh, 67. 67. Um, and so much about this movie is what is understated, what is not there. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what's I think that ultimately is what's missing in a lot of horror films. That, I mean, hell, it's not um, even really a horror movie until the last ten minutes. Yeah. It's more. Well, about, I mean, it's it's more. I mean, it's, it's psychological. It's, yeah, it's very psychological, and it's uh, it's it's yeah, you're right. It's, it's all implication, and it's it's honestly anything that wouldn't be entirely out of place in just a film about a woman having, like, having anxiety about having a baby. Yeah. No. I mean, you. It's very human. It's very human horror. Yeah, it it makes you think like there's a, there's a few flavors of that in in Good Night Mommy, the idea that you're not really sure if what you're seeing is is this has these sinister intentions behind it and it makes you ask that question cuz I mean she's Ro- Rosemary's baby is about a woman named Rosemary Rosemary who is who convinces herself through some sort of paranoia maybe uh that her neighbors are out to get her and her and her unborn child um so you know it's that it's that mystery that you know her neighbors up some weird stuff sure sometimes but maybe they're just weird you know or maybe they're they're trying to sacrifice her baby to satan for example (laughs) hail hail satan um yeah and and so much that there's not you don't see like anything you see like maybe a flash of something horrifying every now and then but even then you don't know what you're seeing and to what extent it is real um and for that it keeps you on edge the entire time it's this it's a psychological not really thriller ride because it's not it's i don't want to say it's not thrilling but it's more just it's scary you know you the the possibility of what is there not actually what is there and you know there's a few times in a recent movie um that is that not a not a referential horror film uh it follows is i think i saw it on the list as like the best horror film of the of the century so far you know they well, those lists are on the, all the rage right now but uh they are um, um i mean thing about it follows is that it's it's referential without being winking too much. yeah it's you informed know, it's, by horror films it's informed by horror it's... films but it's very much of a piece it's very much its own its own creature and I, I think I appreciate that about it a lot, uh, like an unironic approach to horror. Um, Rosemary's Baby's, Baby's, oh my god, <laughs> Rosemary's <laughs> Baby's a great choice. Um, by the way, uh, Roman Polanski, uh, Rosemary's Baby is right in the middle of what's called his apartment trilogy, and it's actually three films 
uh, three horror films that do essentially take place primarily within the walls of, of an apartment building. Um, and uh, if you like Rosemary's Baby, have you seen Repulsion? No, I haven't. It's it's the film, the first film in that trilogy. It was made three years before Rosemary's Baby. Um, basically about a woman who is kind of left alone in an apartment and uh, just kind of like has to. She kind of goes kind of goes nuts with like you know these things from her past. Um, it's it's actually one of my favorite horror movies, along with Rosemary's Baby. And I think if you liked Rosemary's Baby, um, definitely check out Repulsion. Uh, I think I think it streams on Hulu. It's on the Criterion Collection. Um, oh, cool! Um, so that's that. Also, is is very much going along with what you're saying about Rosemary's Baby. And then also the last film in that trilogy is The Tenant, which I haven't seen, but is also a horror film by Roman Polanski. Uh, in that same vein, although that one was made like eight years after Rosemary's Baby. So, yeah, I mean, it it reminds me of another another horror film take place entirely in an apartment. Um, by by Hitchcock, Rear Window. Um, which, which again, if you think about it, has that same that same mystery. You think something is threatening, but you're not sure, so you're always on edge. You know, yeah, it's true. is is my neighbor just weird, or is he murdering people? Yeah, hmm? I actually, <laughs> it's weird. I actually thought this is because um, during this period, Hitchcock was getting really experimental, um, and he actually made a film. It's not a horror film, but it's, it's very much a suspense picture. And to be fair, you can kind of say the same thing about Rear Window, um, called Rope, about these two college friends who murdered their third college friend because they want to know what it's like they, they feel like they are um better human like you know that they are highly you know more evolved human beings and they they have the right to do it so they murder him put uh, stuff him in a wooden chest and then invite his family over for uh family and friends and, and girlfriend over for a dinner party that he's supposed to attend also um eating off of the uh the case, the chest that he was put in as the table. And the whole movie uh, takes place over about an hour and a half and it's, Hitchcock's intention was to shoot it entirely in one take in real time. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, since at the time camera, um, you know, you had to film things, you know, with, with film. Uh, <laughs> the, the magazines could only carry about 10 minutes of film at a time. So what they did is every 10 or 15 minutes, whatever it was, um, Hitchcock would cleverly hide cuts like he would pan behind something and it would go all black and then when he comes out the other side it would be a different take um but it would look try to make it look as seamless as possible um it's still pretty obvious where the cuts are but yeah a lot of movies have tried to replicate this most notably would i mean not in terms of a horror film but uh, you know birdman did the same thing um it, yeah. recently Bird a, a movie were a lot less obvious um i can't remember if i had you watch this movie or not it's called silent house no, you didn't. Yeah, that it's starring uh, Elizabeth Olsen, who's great. Oh wow! Um, oh yeah, she's she's fantastic. Clearly more talented than either of her sisters. Yeah. <laughs> no, she's so so much more talented than either of her sisters that she's actually escaped the comparison. Like you it's don't hear Elizabeth Olsen. It's yeah, true. exactly. I shouldn't have even said um, that. <laughs> no, and the the movie is yeah, it's take place entirely inside this one house, and it does the same like twelve minute takes cut together that makes it look like all it's all one shot and honestly it's masterful it's it's masterful in that it, in that it was able to pull it off but you know i'm, I'm just going to take that back that it had it had some notable issues especially they didn't really take into account the lighting aspect of it because mm. it, like entire shot entire shots had to be like thrown out and redone because the lighting shifts between room to room just did not capture and and at one point it looks like there's one shot that looks like it's been the gamma has been artificially increased to uh, make it, you know, not just pitch black. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it just, it's, it's that sort of thing is hard to do, uh, you know, uh, do those, lo those long takes. And I think the horror film, although not great, not, it, it sort of suffers from the same thing we we're talking about with it. Good night, mommy. And that it, it soaks a lot into this, this twist. That's just not that original or, you know, or even enjoyable once you finally get there. Yeah. Um, so, but as a, as a showcase for Elizabeth Olsen's acting ability and as a showcase for craft of the filmmakers, really really good. And I you know I'd recommend it on those bases, bases. Yeah. Nice. Anything else you wanted to say about Rosemary's Baby before we uh, wrap it on up? 
No, no, that's just that's that's a film I always like think back to whenever I whenever I like a horror film. So um... uh, yeah, I don't I don't blame you at all. Actually, I think I actually kind of have a craving to watch it now. Um, seems like a like great for Halloween ambiance. Yeah, it might still be on Netflix if, if you're you having want, a you know, Halloween. If, if you want a real Halloween, like not 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 any of the like you know vampires and, and Frankenstein crap, but like just real <laughs> existential dread, you know. Yeah, like you could you could watch. Um, what am I trying to? You can watch Warren Bodies, or you could watch Rosemary's Baby, or It Follows, and then just have a real good time. I actually really want to record. I mean, I do actually really want to say uh, that Let the Right One In is fantastic to watch around Halloween, um, because. It is. It, it, it's got a warm center, but a very cold exterior, and it's like the the shots of I believe it's in Stockholm, um, but the shots of the Swedish city they're in at night are just so atmospheric and beautiful, um, and expressive. And even particular shots, like uh, my like actually, it's got one of my favorite shots in any film of the last like twenty years is a. Uh, woman who recently realized that she you know she she's in the hospital after being attacked realizes she has become a vampire because she like opens the window and like you know reels back and it, it is in pain she's you know she's hungry and she starts feeding off herself and she realizes she doesn't want to live like this so she asks one of the orderlies to uh you know open the window and basically commit suicide and uh it, she, the person opening the window doesn't know it'll kill her but it op- she opens the window and she just ignites into flames and the the bed is shot from straight on and the flames just tower up to the up to the ceiling of the hospital it's just such a gorgeous shot um it's dark, it's beautiful, it's everything that I want in a horror movie. Um, that represents the whole film to me. It's 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 awesome. It, it's it's an absolute absolutely one of my favorites of all time. Um, and it's, it's awesome to watch around Halloween. It's got such because it's it's got such a warm center, you know. <laughs> Beyond yeah. all the murder and vampires. Yeah, you know, murder vampires, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so next week we are going to talk about uh, Steve Jobs mm-hmm. the, and um, Bridge of Spies. Yeah, the new Spielberg right. film, which, you know, so next week, which is cl- coming a lot closer to Halloween, is actually going to have nothing to do with Halloween. Uh, so that's why we want to get all, all of our all of our horror goodies into this one. Um, uh, but next time, we're going full prestige picture again, um, because it is, after all, still Oscar season. All right, well, uh, it was a great show this week. It's going to be a great show next week. And as always, thank you for listening.